When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I have a wonderful show lined up tonight, and with me in the studio this evening is Catherine Cahill. And Catherine is the president and CEO of the Man Center, which is a performing arts venue here in the Philadelphia area. Uh, before we get started, I have a couple of show notes. Be sure to stay with us as we go into our breaks where you'll hear from our amazing watch team of on-air contributors talking about your health, finance, technology, leadership, and diversity. And our audience is continuing to grow, so I hope you'll stay connected with us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Women to Watch as well. If you enjoy the show and you happen to be a podcaster, uh, be sure to look us up on Apple Podcasts, uh, Women to Watch, and feel free to give us a rating, five star, um, and it helps us get our message out and continue to grow our audience. And you can find everything related to the show at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I'm thrilled to welcome to the show Catherine Cahill. Again, she's the president and CEO of the Man Center, a performing arts venue here in Philadelphia. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to have you with me in person. I know how busy you are. And, you know, the first thing I wanted to say right off the bat was I have such a fond memory a childhood memory um, of my father taking my family, my brothers and I, to see Pre- Preservation Hall Jazz Band <laughs> at the Man Center. Do you remember that, or do they still perform? They they haven't performed for quite some time, okay. but they were very popular in the day. And uh, it heartens me to hear that story because we hear this so often, I hear this so often, about people who have wonderful memories, whether it's childhood memories or their first concert or it was their first date or they got engaged. We have so many really heartwarming stories about people and really special times for them that they experienced at the man. Yeah. You know, it's a special place, I think, because it's an outdoor venue. And in the summertime, we would go quite often. My dad was somewhat of a musician himself. He played the drums. And when he first took us and we knew it was this group of older men, we kind of thought, oh, this is not going to... It was so great. They were such a unique, special group. 
they really do have a very magical sound. And once they're on stage, they 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 steal the stage, as it were, and you are absolutely in the palm of your, of their hand from beginning to end. Yeah, absolutely. really, I'm, I'm sure you have fond memories. I do, I do. So I want to, um, as we always do, I want to start at the beginning um, of your story and, and give the listeners a sense of where you came from. And I think you have a very special story. Um, you grew up in Trenton, New Jersey. Truly outside of Trenton, um, okay. close to Washington's Crossing. Okay. Yeah. New Jersey. New Jersey, right? absolutely, right yeah. on the Delaware River. Yeah. And um, from my research on you, I understand your mom was an opera singer. She was. And sadly, she passed at a very young age, 29. You were only two months old. That's correct. Um, so I would imagine that's a very impactful part of your story. And you were raised by your grandparents and an aunt, a wonderful aunt who went on to remarry um, and then adopted you. Pretty much you've got that pretty pretty spot on. So in fact, yes. So when my mother died, she was the youngest of three daughters. And her parents were Flo and George Bernard. And the middle daughter, my mother's sister, Mary, was unmarried. And so she was living at home with my grandparents. And so they took me pretty much right after my mother died and raised me. Um, and when I was four, my grandmother died. So it was really then my grandfather and my Aunt Mary. And as a little girl, I, for you know, kids can't say names, whatever. I couldn't say Aunt Mary, so I called her Mamie. So she was my Mamie when I was a really little girl. And, okay. um, and then ultimately became mom, of course, uh, yeah. as I was able to articulate that a bit better. And then when I was six, my Aunt Mary, my mother at this point, met a man who um, himself was a widower. He had lost his wife to polio many years prior, and they had a 12-year-old son. Um, and so he was living with his parents in Trenton proper with his son and met Mary. Uh, it's a wonderful story. He met her at a New Year's Eve party, asked her to marry him that night. She said, you're drunk. Come back tomorrow. He did. It's a little too soon. <laughs> a little too soon. Yeah, come back tomorrow. If you're serious, he did. And in six months, they were married. Oh, wow. And his name was Sweeney Cahill. So Which is a great name. In. It's a great name. I love That's that. The quintessential Irish, right? Yeah. So he moved in into our home where I was living with my grandfather and my mother at that point, my aunt, and brought their 12-year-old son. So so there was about a six-year, five- to six-year difference between myself and Bill, who was the boy he brought with him and uh, started to form a new family. And then within a year or two, they had their own little boy and then a, and followed with a little girl. So there's like a 15-year spread between Bill who I think of as my brother because we were raised virtually together, yeah. and my younger brother and sister who are really technically my cousins because they're my aunt's kids, right? Okay, right. Complicated, yes. I know. Right. <laughs> if you can follow all that, you get the right. prize. We need a graph. We do. George and Maureen were their names. So there were now all of a sudden four of us yeah. within a short order of time. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. And, you know, one <laughs> of the questions I have for you, I think it's interesting um, obviously, you're in the music field. Um, you went on to study the cello. I did. And I understand there was a lot of listening to music when you were growing up. My question is, what is the one thing that your family told you about your mother that you see in yourself? Other than the music, you know, the love of music. That's a great question. So, um my family was not musical at all, so I was totally like this black sheep. I mean, came out of left field, right? But so was my mother. She was the black sheep of her family. There was nobody who had musical talent either. And so, in fact, she was truly the black sheep because she, had, in those days, married a divorced man. 
Oh, and okay. that was really, you know, shunned in a Catholic family. We were raised very Catholic, and so she really broke all the the rules and all the the the, the, the sort of the, the mores of the time. And then they moved to Alaska, where I was conceived. So, you know, this is the I was born in 1957, so I'm now dating myself. So, I mean, she was really, <laughs> you know, charting new territory, and um, which not, I love, but, right? right? Doing exactly, her own thing, doing her own thing, right? And yep. um, you know, unfortunately, breast cancer took her uh, away from all of us. But mm. she really. Um, you know, march to her own drummer. <laughs> and um, that always inspired me for some reason. Not that anyone was negative or positive about it. It was just who she was. Right. And um, I, of course, never knew her, really, because, you know, I was two months old. So um, she's always been this, um, I've had this imagination of who she was. And, you know, she really didn't follow the norms of the day. And yeah. in those days, this is the mid-50s, right? Early mm-hmm. 50s. For a young woman, that was uh, pretty adventuresome. So you see some of that in yourself? I guess I would say yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's a fair assessment. Yeah, yes. and, and I think that comes in handy for a leader, right? So if you're looking to, in any organization, and you're at the top and you're looking to be innovative and motivate your team, um, not doing what those before you did, I think, is a really wonderful trait. Well, it's been an interesting journey, and certainly in my uh, personal and professional career, um, I've had the great privilege and good fortune of, you know, really working for some fantastic people and some great, great, great institutions. Yeah. Um, and being surrounded by family and friends who were very supportive, even if they didn't always understand it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, go for it, girl. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I am. And we're going to talk about that later in the show. Um, tell me what it meant to you to be uh, officially adopted by Sweeney Cahill. Well, I was, so my, my birth name was uh, Catherine Booth, as in, you know, phone booth, B-O-O-T-H. Until I was six, I was Catherine Booth, Kathy yeah. Booth. And then when Mary met Sweeney and they married at that six-month window, they first adopted Bill. And they did that fairly early on in, in their marriage. I came second uh, within the year, and I just remember going to the courthouse for it. Oh, yeah. That, that's a memory that you'll probably always have. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll finish our conversation. Stay with us as we go into the break to hear from Dawn Zier of Nutrisystem for our CEO Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. CEO Watch. Hi, I'm Dawn Zier, here with today's CEO Watch. All of us have experienced failure on some level throughout our lives. Whether it be a personal failure or a professional one, the feeling is never pleasant. And I'm sure most of us have gotten that dreaded question on an interview. Tell me about a time when you failed. Inner groan. But actually, if you've embraced your failures, this is not a question to shy away from. Because from failure often comes the greatest insights and lessons and ultimately growth and resilience. And that fundamentally is what the question's all about. When it comes to business, I want my team to never be afraid to take calculated risks, nor to be afraid of failure. Do your research and planning, but the truth be told, you will hardly ever have all the facts you'd like when making an important decision. Big decisions often require not only diligence, but also a certain amount of intuition and courage, and successful outcomes are rarely 100% guaranteed. So if you're going to fail, the key is to do it well and to follow this twofold approach. First, fail fast. Clearly identify key metrics for success and measure them. If the outcomes are below expectations, quickly regroup and understand why. And rigorously dissect what's working and what's not, learn, and then decide on the corrective steps, if any. And two, be dispassionate. Often we get so wedded to our ideas that we fail to recognize when an idea isn't working and we throw good money after bad. Our failures can shape our future and our decision making just as much as our successes do. 
As leaders, it's important to create an environment in which it's safe to fail. I'd even take it one step further and encourage executives to create a culture where failure is rewarded. May seem counterintuitive, but if a company doesn't encourage out-of-the-box thinking and doesn't invest in new ideas that have a higher chance of failure, growth will likely stagnate. Failure is often the precursor to game-changing success. Thanks, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here for CEO Watch. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. If you're just tuning in, I'm having a wonderful conversation with Catherine Cahill, the president and CEO of the Mann Center here in Philadelphia. And we're learning a little bit about your upbringing, which I think is always directly tied to who you are today. And uh, while your father was was um, around when you uh, when your mom passed and you went to live with your grandparents and your aunt, your May May, um, uh, he was not necessarily in your life. Tell us about that. So he had a presence, but it wasn't consistent and he wasn't a regular figure in my youth. Um, I think he really struggled with my mother's death and my mother and my aunt, my mother and my grandparents were not particularly fond of him. And that really had a lot to do, honestly, with the times and then being very Catholic and he being divorced. Mm-hmm. So they didn't particularly have a warm or close relationship. So I think that tension was also difficult for him. So when he did want to come and see me, sometimes I'm told now um, he would say he was coming and then he wouldn't show up. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was hard on. Sweeney, uh, Sweeney wasn't there yet, sorry, Mary and Flo and, 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 and her husband, George, my grandfather, that, you know, when you expect the, 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 the father to show up and he doesn't. Yep. So I don't think they ever really told me like, yeah, yeah your dad's coming over because they were afraid that he mm-hmm. would disappoint. So when he did show up, it was a big deal for me as a little girl. I remember him being a larger than life personality, but not around a lot. Okay. Is he around today? No, he's gone. Yeah, okay. Um, so I understand you went off to um, an all girls Catholic Academy. I did my beloved Villa Victoria Academy, which was all of 10 minutes down the road from where I grew up. In the Hicks? Well, I grew up <laughs> in the just, Sticks. Yes, the I sticks. sure did. <laughs> but this was right on. So this, if, if you've ever crossed I-95 and gone over the Scudders Falls Bridge, that's the bridge that connects New Jersey mm-hmm. and Pennsylvania when you're on I-95. Um, you can actually see my house from there, from where oh. I grew up, because it's right on the Delaware River. Okay. Villa Victoria, you can actually see as you're crossing over on the other side, on again, on the New Jersey side. So it was very close to where I grew up. It was I loved it. It was an all-girls Catholic school. Um, it was, for me, very nurturing. My f- my first grade class was seven kids. Wow. Okay, it was really small. That's you small. got a lot of personal attention. Mm-hmm. And they were really focused on arts and culture, mm. um, a lot of music, choirs, okay. summer uh, spring pageants. And I just... 
I, I, I was very happy there. I know you hear stories, and I understand some of them are true, of difficult parochial settings where there's you know, nuns with rulers and things of that nature. I never experienced any of that. That That's was just great. not the environment that was at Villa Victoria when I was a youngster there. Mm-hmm. Is that Was that a grade school that you went to? Yeah. Or, okay. So and it was then a grade went... school, and then in seventh grade, um, I ended up going to public school. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents didn't have enough money to keep me in private school anymore, and my brother in prep school, Bill. Mm. So uh, money was tight at home. It really was. And so my mother had stopped working as a school nurse. And so it was really the income of my grandfather's business. He owned a fruit and produce business. Okay. And Sweeney, who was a traffic line marker, he marked, he had his own little business, Trent and Striping, and he marked, you know, tennis courts and, and streets. Okay. So money was tight. And mm-hmm. so there wasn't enough to keep Bill and myself in private school. The concept was since Bill was older, they would get him through prep school and then off to college. And then theoretically, I'd go back to Villa Victoria because it had a high school. Well, they put me in seventh grade at our local junior high. It was a traumatic experience. I didn't have any friends. It was a school that had, you know, 30 people in the classroom. It was boys and girls. It was all walks of life. And it was just so foreign to anything I knew. So Junior high was tough. It was I, I would bet. not be something I'd ever want to repeat. But then high school came, and Ewing High was the best high school for me. It had an orchestra. It had music classes. It had um, uh, after school programs and summer musicals. And I just was like, that was it. I was I you was flourished. in my glory. I yeah. flourished. I loved Ewing High. It was great for me. I never looked back twice. Yeah. But I'll skip junior high. That was a rough period. <laughs> That's a tough. It's I tough, think, I think, anyway, any but, oh, but it was right. really rough. Oh. I had no friends because it was a feeder school from like six other elementary schools. Yeah. So all these schools would feed into this particular junior high. And so all these kids came with their friends. I was a total lone ranger there. Mm. So it took How- a while to re, you know, figure out where I belonged. Yeah. Um, when did you pick up the cello? I actually picked up the cello quite late. I had started piano lessons when I was like in first grade. Um, we had a piano at home. It had been my mother's. And even though there was not a soul in my family who understood or cared about music per se, they thought it was important for me. So uh, I loved playing the piano. Um, and then, ironically, in junior high, believe it or not, I'm here at the high school, the junior high that I was sort of saying wasn't so, so great for me, in ninth grade, because junior high was 7th, 8th, and ninth, and high school was 10, 11, and 12 in, my, in, the, in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an announcement, I couldn't make this up, over the intercom that said, anyone who can read music, please come down to the um, auditorium at 7th period. Well, 7th period was gym. I hated gym. Ugh, hated it. <laughs> I'll but, do anything, but, anything to get out anything of gym. Anything to get out of gym. So I was like, okay, I read music. I play the piano. I'm singing in the choir here. I'll go down. Well, it turned out they needed string players, believe it or not, lower string players, meaning cellos and double basses, for the high school orchestra. So I said, sure, I'll play one of them. And they showed the instruments and the cello you could sit down with. So I thought, why not? And that's the God's honest truth. They put a cello in my hand. I fell in love with it. And by... Um, by the time I got into 10th grade, I thought, there's no way they're going to put me in this high school orchestra. I, you know, I'm not, that, I'm not that accomplished. And they did. And I remember going into the um, orchestra band director, orchestra director, his name was Lloyd Snyder, great guy, and said, I, I think they've made a mistake. I shouldn't be assigned to this <laughs> session for orchestra. I, I, no, 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 you need to sit in the orchestra. So he did. And it was an eye opener. It was like I went from, for me, I went from Kansas, which is black and white, to Oz, which was Technicolor, okay, you know, really, to to the whole thing. So um, I started taking cello lessons, and the rest is history. I loved it. Every minute of it, it changed my life. Were you, at that time, did you have aspirations 
to do theater or did you sing or, you know, you said you I played sang the piano. In, I sang in chorus. I played piano. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was busy riding horses when I was in junior high. That was my great passion because uh, my neighbors had horses to the left and ponies to the right because it really was the sticks in those days. Um, music was not necessarily a thought for a pr- professional career, but the minute I had the cello in my hand, my life changed. It mm. absolutely did. And I that's why I'm so passionate about having arts education in schools today. They are game changers for young people. They give them a purpose. They give them the ability to focus and be disciplined and be a team member and grow their skills and be part of something very magical and very special. Yeah. And confidence, right? And self-esteem. I All think of that, those things. Yeah. And, and learning. Every time the orchestra, would, they would put some new music on the stand, it was like this whole new world opened up. Like, what piece is this? And what composer is this? And what are these sounds I'm hearing? Yeah. We're going to take another break. We'll be right back. Stay with us for Dr. Marianne Ritchie for your health watch and Terry and Maggie for your finance watch. Now, the women to watch. Health watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Summer's here, time for the beach, a picnic, baseball game. But first, let's avoid sunburn. Sunscreens, these lotions or creams reflect or absorb the ultraviolet rays of the sun, UVA and UVB. Both increase risk of skin cancers and premature aging. Both are very dangerous. Since 2012, the Food and Drug Administration recommends that we use only sunscreens that protect against both UVA and UVB. They're labeled broad-spectrum sunscreens. SPF, sun protection factor, measures the screen's ability to protect against sunburn. For daily use, SPF of 15 is recommended. In fact, there are cosmetics and facial moisturizers with SPF 15 to 30. But SPF of 30 or higher for working outdoors, sports, or recreational activities. Another important feature, water resistance. This means the protection lasts for 40 minutes of swimming or 80 minutes of sweating. Men should apply to the tops of their ears. So should women if they pull their hair back in a ponytail. Apply about 15 to 30 minutes before you go outside, let the film dry, and reapply every two hours. For infants, no sunscreen under age six months. Keep your little angel covered. Now, tanning beds. We have scientific evidence that artificial tanning significantly increases risk of melanoma, even by 75% if your first trip is in your teens or 20s. I have patients in their mid-20s with basal cell cancer from tanning beds. In 2009, the World Health Organization declared UV light from tanning beds as a carcinogen, cancer-causing agent, linked it with melanoma, including of the eye. Plus, now we know tanning can become an addiction. In some states, tanning is banned under age 18. Why not in every state? Divas, if you want to keep your skin in the game, you've got to protect it. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. 
Watch. Finance Watch. Hi, this is Maggie. And this is Terry. And we're from Fortis Wealth. Many of our clients are concerned about saving money for their children's education. One of the most popular vehicles for this seems to be the 529 plan. Exactly what is that, Terry? The name comes from an IRS code section, and their purpose is to help families save for college expenses. The plans are offered by and regulated by individual states. Some states allow a portion to be used for K-12 tuition expenses also. The plans are popular because the investment gains are not taxed if the funds are used for qualified education expenses. Some states offer a state income tax deduction for contributions. The flip side is that if the money is used for another purpose, like a new roof or medical expenses, not only is there tax on the gain, there's also a penalty tax. But you don't have to use the plan sponsored by your home state, is that correct? That's right. You can choose a plan based on the investment options, the costs, and other factors www.savingforcollege.com is a good place to start your research. It's an independent resource that offers information on all available plans. So how do the plans work? Well, let's look at a hypothetical example. Ross and Rachel opened a plan years ago for their first child, Monica. They invested regularly until Monica was a senior in high school. The balance grew to almost $200,000 by 2015. But Monica was awarded scholarships that covered most of her expenses, so she didn't need the money. The beneficiary was switched to their son, Joey, who doesn't need all the funds either, and there's about $50,000 left. The money can be used by Monica or Joey for grad school, a future grandchild's education, or even for Rachel, who's considering another degree so that she can become a teacher. Is there a downside to using a 529 plan? Well, as I mentioned, they have a specific purpose, and there are tax consequences if they are not used for education. We advise clients to have their cash reserves and retirement savings in place before contributing to a 529. Having a 529 can also impact your ability to get financial aid. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm speaking to Catherine Cahill this evening, the president and CEO of the Mann Center. And um, I want to share a quote with you. Um, you said, as a young, hopeful cello student from rural New Jersey, I always dreamed of working in a culturally exciting city. If one believes in angels, my guardian angel led me to where I was meant to be, Philadelphia. Um, two questions I have for you. Who is that guardian angel, if you know, or perhaps it's just the mystique of, of one? Um, and then if you can share with us the catalyst for your hire at The Man. Sure. Um, my guardian angel doesn't have a name. Um, and I also think it's a he, which is really weird, not a she. So I apologize to you women listeners, but oh, he's no. always right there. And I've just always felt his presence. I don't know what it is. And sometimes I've actually felt it was my mother. I know this sounds really goofy. My mother's No, it presence, actually makes sense to me. My mother's presence watching over me. Yes. You know, I've always felt yes. that. Um, it actually chokes me up a little bit. But um, so, yeah, I don't have a name for it, but it's it's been a presence there that um, has been a gift. And um, I've been blessed to have that. Yeah. No, that makes per- I thought for sure you were going to say it's it's my mother. She's with me. That connection, that musical connection has led you to one opportunity after another. And, and I think sometimes when someone who was pivotal in our lives is not here, there's a mystique. There's um, totally a mystique without yes. question. Yeah. Um, so share with us the, you know, the catalyst for coming to the Man Center, that hire and how it came about. 
So there's a little bit of a backstory, if I have just one moment, if I can share with your yes. listeners. So when I was a music student here, I was a cello music student at Temple University. That's where I did my undergraduate work. And then I went on to do graduate work at Drexel University. So I lived in Philadelphia for a long time, mm-hmm. back in the 70s and early 80s. Um, and uh, my then boyfriend at the time and I, we were, we were poor as church mice, and we he was a pianist in school with me. And we rode our bicycles, I'm not kidding, out in like 1977 to, uh, then it was called the Robin Hood Del West. Because for the first four years, the Mann Center as we know it was not named the Mann Center. It was the Robin Hood Del West. That's ringing a bell to me. Right, because it came from the original organization, which is now and still operates over on the east side of the river, the Robin Hood Del. And then when they built the Mann, as we now know it, where it is in West Philadelphia, in Fairmount Park, it was the Robin Hood Del West for the first four years. And then the city changed its name to the Mann Music Center. And you could ride your bikes because there was no traffic. Well, we rode our bikes. If there was traffic, (laughs) we probably were oblivious. Who knows, you know, know, young kids. And we sat on the lawn because in those days, back in the days, the... um, a format was that you could clip a coupon out of your local newspaper and mail it into the park district and they would mail you tickets, free tickets to sit on the lawn. And since that, and so I remember sitting on that lawn because they were playing Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty and I had listened to that as a little girl on Disney records and I hadn't thought or heard it in years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm sitting on this lawn and I have this deja vu moment like, why do I know this music? Oh my God, it took me back to like this little four-year-old wow. sitting on her you know, playroom floor listening to records on our little record player. Wow. So I had a fond memory of the man. So as my career developed and I really got a career in arts administration, um, I've been blessed. I was the artistic and festival director of the Grant Park Music Festival in Chicago in the 90s. And then I was recruited to be the general manager of the New York Philharmonic at Lincoln Center. And then I went on to be the CEO of the Toronto Symphony. And then I came back to New York and I was at the Brooklyn Academy of Music running the Brooklyn Philharmonic. And then in 2007, I got a call from a search firm that I knew and they were saying that the Mann Center was looking for a new president and CEO. And quite frankly, I wasn't planning to leave New York City anytime soon. I loved it. Did you love it? I loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. It's a cultural capital of the world, mm-hmm. with all candor. But I had great fond memories of Philadelphia and certainly that pivotal moment at the Mann. And so I came down and interviewed, and I could not get over the change in Philadelphia because I left in 1983. Mm-hmm. And when I came back in 2007, it was a different city. Mm, I mean, it really, sure. and, for, and frankly, a much better place yes. on a whole lot of levels. So um, so they did a national search, um, and I was one of the finalists. And at the end of the day, the board decided I was the right choice. So here I am going into my 11th season. Wow. I'd love to know what, what your day-to-day is. You know, that's a big role, and, and there's a lot going on anytime there's events, you know, with an organization. So what is a typical day? Well, the oh, answer is, is there is role? yeah. The, the answer is there's no typical day for me, right. quite candidly. Uh, my role as president CEO, I have responsibilities of the entire operation, and so I'm very, very lucky to have a fantastic team of bright, talented people who are incredibly passionate and dedicated. And so, from short-term planning to long-range, short-term planning to long-range strategic planning, fundraising, marketing, programming, education, community engagement, uh, board development, all of those things are part and parcel of what. I oversee with a terrific team. We also have a 22-acre campus that requires a tremendous amount of investment in care and feeding. Also working with our partners who are helping with programming, whether it's um, AEG or Live Nation or our own in-house team, working with a great Philadelphia orchestra and others to make sure that we have a very diverse lineup so that there is absolutely something for everyone. Mm. And then in addition to that, we have a very substantive arts and education program. So we do a lot in the community year round, but we also do a lot at the man during the summer. And we have two stages that we, uh, a lot of people don't know that we have a second stage that we invested in a few years ago. It's called the skyline stage. And it's at the top of the hill with spectacular skyline views. And it's general admission, which means there are no seats. 
So you can either sit under cover for an evening or be up on our skyline stage. But wherever you are, it's magical. And it's the great summer outdoors. And, you know, bring a picnic blanket, bring your Bermuda shorts, your flip-flops, bring a bottle of wine, whatever it is that will make you and your family and your friends have a special time. Because once you're at the man, it doesn't get any better. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Um, I want to talk, you had mentioned uh, at the beginning of the interview a little bit about, you know, the importance of the arts. And I really want to talk about that in the next segment. Why, you know, there's a lot of initiatives and conversations around STEM these days for young girls. Um, but the importance of art and, and um, education around that and what it does for a child. Um, just be- before we go into the break, just a few minutes, your thoughts on that. Well, first of all, STEM is missing a letter. It should be STEAM. So the A for the arts, quite frankly. And I have, actually, I've heard that. Yes, and that's often used as well. well. Um, I I think that for young women, the opportunity to be involved, engaged, whether it's theater or music or, you know, you love to, you know, paint or make pottery or whatever it is that makes your heart sing, it gives you purpose. It gives you a chance to have a a viewpoint of a totally different world from where you are sitting, you know, where you are currently. It's a gift. It is. It is. Uh, We're going to take one last break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your leadership style and how you motivate your team. Stay tuned for Mary Manzo for our Tech Watch and Hanadi Shahabuddin for Diversity. We'll be right back. This is the Women to Watch, Diversity Watch, Diversity Watch. Peace be upon you all. This is Hanadi with your weekly diversity segment. One of the things that used to consume my thinking about the hereafter is that we will be asked what we utilized our knowledge for. Did we put our expertise for the betterment of humanity? I used to be a branding expert then, promoting products that may or may not be useful. When I came to the U.S., I discovered that the brand that's dearest to my heart, my religion, is being vandalized and misrepresented. I took that as my calling and started rebranding my faith and relaying what the religion is truly about. I put my branding expertise to the best possible use I can think of. Now I can say I have an answer to that question. When knowledge and expertise are so important in the religion of Islam, step one, in other terms, seeking knowledge, becomes a sacred mission. I mean it, literally, sacred. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, Whoever follows a path seeking knowledge therein, God will pave a path for them to paradise. It's not a surprise to know that one of the key factors in successful nations is a robust educational system. Education is key to the advancement of the common good. Quote, are those who know equal to those who don't? End quote. I'm not asking. God is in chapter 39 in the Quran. When he promised to elevate those who acquire knowledge to higher ranks, the answer to this question becomes evident. Education is the right of every child. Denying education to children or a specific gender is not only unfair, but also un-Islamic. Today's prophetic ethic is seeking knowledge, all kinds of knowledge, humanities, sciences, religious, and others, and putting that knowledge to good use. It can only serve the world to be more knowledgeable and more enlightened. Now you know. Don't forget to connect with me on hernadispeaksout.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes 
on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso of Pathways Consulting Group. Stop your fears of automation in the workplace. It's not replacing jobs and here's why. Technology is changing the speed in which companies produce work. Have you noticed your workload has increased and not decreased? The reason, for companies to keep up with competitors, they have to constantly get innovative and market new things. Those things can potentially add more to your plate. Organizing all the things you have to do is hard and keeping all your tasks in one place could only help. And by automating the repeatable things you work on every day could give you the time you need to complete all the other things you have to do. So where did your job go? Right where you found it. Only difference is that through automation, you're able to be more efficient and your manager thinks you're a superstar. Reporting on your team's activities and tasks gets easier too. With automation reporting tools, you can spend more time analyzing what the reports are telling you and focus on recommendations for organizational improvements. The introduction of these new automated technologies can be scary because it's change, but if you embrace the change and see the benefits, you'll find that life at work can get easier and more efficient. At Pathways, we implement ServiceNow, which is a cloud-based platform that automates HR, IT, customer service, and so many other types of tasks, even tasks that go across departments. Through our adoption training, Pathways helps employees embrace the change automation brings by helping them learn the new ways to get their work done. If you're not at your desk and on the go, most automation platforms can go anywhere you go with mobile access. So if your role is to manage customer service, but meetings keep you away from your desk, no problem. Alerts can be sent to your phone and you can manage things just like you would if you were at your desk, never missing a beat. Automation can provide a multitude of benefits to any organization and to you. Leverage and embrace the change that automation brings to the workplace. Your day will become substantially improved and efficient. For more information, contact me at mary at pathwayscg.com. with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Catherine, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about the educational programs at The Man and and what is available for both young people and adults. Well, we have a a very substantive program, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, It is pretty much year-round, but in the summer particularly, we do a series of young people's concerts. They are free. Uh, and we max out at 6,000, so people have to register, but they are always sold out, even though they're free. Um, and we do provide school buses if groups can't afford to come, so we can make sure we have complete access, because that's a really key priority for the man, that we are accessible mm. for everybody. For the suburb, for children in the suburbs as well, or do most of them come most from of the, the city? Most of the city, but um, if there is a suburb that really has a need and really can't afford the buses, we will take that under consideration as well. So we are inclusive. It's it's the region's performing arts center, not just Philadelphia. Right. Uh, and so we track people really from around the region and for some of the shows from around the country, quite frankly, depending on the nature of the show. This year, we're very excited. We're launching for the first time ever a dream I've had for literally 10 years. And we're finally making it happen uh, under the terrific leadership of a young um, new director of education and community engagement, the man, Naomi Gonzalez, a go-getter and a dynamo. 
Um, she is someone to watch. Uh, we are launching a new academy for young uh, performers, instrumentalists, uh, primarily in junior high and high school, who don't have access to go off in the summer to some wonderful music camp. They don't have those resources. They mm. don't have that support. And so we're creating a two-week residency in partnership with the fabulous Philadelphia Orchestra, wonderful. the school district of Philadelphia, and an organization called Project 440, which helps young people with soft skills and learning really how to function in the real world. So it's a two-week academy a brand new initiative and we have about 60 young players coming in and um, we're really excited about it and it's it's a good way to sort of jumpstart where we'd like to move forward in the future. Um, We have a fellowship program where we take young middle school um, um, talented youngsters who have a real interest in the arts and we put together a whole tailored package of experiences for them literally throughout the year Mm -hmm. so that they have access to what we're doing and from open rehearsals to all kinds of other things Um, and that's going very nicely and then again under the dynamic leadership of Naomi Gonzalez um, and so in addition to that, we do workshops and we've done master, we do master classes. We work in school settings off season. Um, and so we are very committed to community um, and we're very proud of our programs and they what? continue to grow and develop. Yeah. I, I don't know that people would know that there's that much available um, outside of the concerts and the shows themselves. Absolutely. It's really one of our ultimate challenges. You know, we are a nonprofit. That mm-hmm. means we're a 501c3 and um, education, community engagement is a core part of our mission. But getting that word out when you have giant shows like the Roots Picnic and other things that can overshadow that message, it's a crowded message marketplace. So we continue to push that message, but sometimes it gets a little sort of pushed to the back burner when we have other things that are happening. Right. So, but you're right. Yeah. Well, speaking of, you know, concerts and performers, I would love to know you've had an opportunity over the years to meet some incredible people. And uh, I wonder if one stands out for you that you were excited to meet or it was a memorable meeting for you. So I was very lucky. When I left Philadelphia, I went into a program at the time called the American Symphony Orchestra League Fellowship Program, and they took seven aspiring um, candidates from around the country and sent them around the the country, literally, to learn orchestra management. And so I was lucky, and I was the fourth person assigned in this. I was in the fourth year of the program. It's now been many, many years since. But I was assigned to the Great Chicago Symphony. I'd never been to the Midwest, so this was a great adventure. And the principal guest conductor at the time was Claudio Abbato. May he rest in peace. This was an incredibly talented maestro from Italy who was the principal guest, as I mentioned. And working with him closely, I kind of got assigned to sort of, we were on a tour to Florida. I, got, I, w- I was assigned to, like, look after him. It was incredible. Wow. Um, Jimmy Galway was another one. When I was, my first, first job was with the Dallas Symphony. We were on tour in Europe. I was assigned to look after him. And he sort of wandered off into the uh, Spanish airport. And it took me about a half hour <laughs> to find him. Uh, so he was, you he don't want to lose You know, I don't want to lose Jimmy Galway, right? Yeah. So, I mean, he was wonderful. Yo-Yo Ma has been a joy to work with over these many years. Wow. I have been blessed to know so many talented conductors and artists. And um, I'm just very grateful. And my time at the New York Philharmonic as general manager is, is certainly one of the most powerful memories and experiences I've ever had to work with an orchestra of that caliber as their general manager and tour them around the globe, which mm. is part of my job at the time, and to work with them and, and guest conductors and soloists. It just didn't get any better than that. Yeah. I'd love to, to hear uh, from you what your leadership style is. You know, we talk a lot on the show about the, the different ways um, – not just women, men and women who are leading a team of people, how you motivate them and and what is your style? What do you find that works? Well, I think I'm collaborative and I want to make sure that when we're talking about strategic issues and what we're needing to look at both on a short-term and long-term basis, I really want input and feedback because I value what my team has as their own experience and what they bring to the table. So collaboration is a critically important part, inspiring them, giving them wings, saying, okay, great idea, go with it. 
you know, come back to me Delegating. when you need my help. Oh, yeah. I love to delegate. I really yeah. do. Good. Um, and I'm very blessed with a good team. I, I do like to say I don't need to know what time it is. I just need to, I don't need to know how the clock works, excuse me. I just need to know what time it is. Okay. Yeah. So go forth, right? Yes, um, right. And so building a team, and it's been really, for me, a blessing. The man attracts really talented people. Mm. So we've been slowly, strategically over the years, building and expanding department by department, strengthening our internal systems and operations, and ensuring uh, a good collaborative um, environment. Take a few minutes and talk to me about your daughter. You have a daughter, and I'd love to know what you hope to see um, in the world for her. Well, I'm very, very lucky. I have a gorgeous, beautiful daughter. Her name is Nicole. Uh, she'll be 30. I can't even believe I'm saying that. That ages me again. I gave you my birth date earlier. Um, <laughs> dates me um, this November. Um, she lives in New York City, um, and she's in the world of finance. Um, as I like to say, she's my best performance ever. Uh, <laughs> she um, is an extraordinary, talented young woman, and I am so proud of her. And uh, the world is hers. It's ahead of her. She could be the president of the United States if she so chose. She's that capable, wow. that smart, that talented. She's very independent. Good, um, good. But very responsible, um, compassionate, um, loves animals. Uh, Any musical ability? She played the flute. Now, oh, her father, did. my ex-husband, um, who's now deceased, uh, was a clarinetist. He's He was Korean, so my daughter's half American, half Korean. Okay. Um, so she's particularly beautiful, if I can say that. Um, <laughs> and she played the flute. And I was always ever grateful that she never wanted to make a career out of it, because it's so hard. I bet. To make a, a, a proper... Um, life with and, 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 and have enough income as a musician. It's really mm. hard. Yeah. So I was grateful that she loved the flute and she played it her whole life, but she didn't pursue it as a professional career. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, tell me um, what you do in times of stress. What is, what is your go-to for, you know, there's days where everything's going wrong. How do you how do you manage oh, that? We certainly have our share of those. Do you, and do you play the cello still? I don't play the cello okay. anymore, but it's on my retirement list. But I still play the piano. Okay. Um, but the cello really requires for me a lot of time. I'd have to really be practicing to keep up my chops, as it were, to the level that they once were. And without that, it's frustrating. So I can't do it unless I can do it really well, and it takes a lot of time. But that's on the retirement list Good. when that comes to, fru to fruition some years in the future. Um, so when things go wrong, I mean, what you try to do is bring the people together who have to help you solve the problem. You got to figure out why it went wrong. What can you do if it's an in the moment situation? How do we respond? You do a debrief after to find out what we could do better next time. Um, you listen, you try to find creative solutions. Um, we've had all kinds of challenges. I mean, we've weather is one of our biggest challenges. And yes, so a it's, few an years ago, venue, it's an outdoor for venue for people who don't know. Right. And so we find we hired this um, this firm that actually is in, in um, the Midwest that w watches the weather. I mean, it's like talking to God. Oh, okay, you're going to have a storm. And no, I'm kidding. In seven minutes, it's coming. It's got 18 lightning strikes, and you're going. It'll pass over you in eight and a half minutes. We never had that before, and so we were always sort of second guessing. You know, the AccuWeather forecast. Well, now we have a professional firm. It gives us the tools and the ability to manage what is the most difficult thing at the man, which is weather. Because if you have lightning. There is no way you have to send people back to their cars yeah. because you have to be able to give them refuge. And so we now have a much better handle on that than we did in the years past. So um, from a life safety perspective, we're in a better place. You know, we live in a world now with active shooter. We work on that very much to make mm. sure that our emergency prayer is very sad. Emergency yeah. preparedness systems are where they need to be and they can always be better. Yeah. So you just solve the problems. <laughs> Sounds Team to sport. me. Team sport. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me. It was a great conversation. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you so much to our sponsors and contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week. And don't forget to subscribe to Women to Watch on the Apple podcast and visit us at womentowatch.net. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.